0: Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're gonna want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at getjackblack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-size Intense Therapy Lip Balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022 the LA Kings, and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at getjackblack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last.
1: You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast.
0: Dowdy plays it off the skate of Mahura. Here's Fiala walking out of the corner.
1: You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings.
2: Quick. Outlets here to Arbuthn. Arbuthn drops for more. On across to it's Arbuthn
0: scores! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. It's that time of year, the time of year where my voice sounds just awful to me, anyway. I don't feel that great either, as long as we're on the subject. But. That doesn't mean we don't have all the King's men. Eric Stevens joined me to crown a King of the Week, and I talked to Bally Sports Stats guy Ed Egross about the 2022-23 Kings season. Sorry if I sound a little rough. Go Kings, go. It is time to crown another King of the Week. Here to help me do that from The Athletic, Eric Stevens. How are you doing today, Eric?
1: I'm good, Jesse. How's it going on this Sunday?
0: You know, uh, it could have gone a lot worse depending on how that game ended last night, but, uh, it went, it's as it is, it's, it's great. So we're going to get into the King of the Week. I explained the format to you before we started recording. So I'm just going to throw it to you, your honorable mention this week.
1: You know what? My honorable mention, um, I went with Carl Gun- Um, I, I think he had a very strong week. He obviously had that, uh, two goal game, uh, uh, in, in saint louis there in the victory um uh, he's had points i believe in the uh, three of the last four games and and really he he's now starting to make himself a fixture on that third line or at least make himself at least a fixture in the lineup um which he wasn't always last year um and even going into this year there was wonder if if he'd be able to be someone that can um play every night whatsoever well he's done that he's been physical he's uh um, you know he's he he's been on the puck. Um, he's been been fine defensively, and you know as we saw recently, um, he's been able to show some uh, scoring touch, and he's working really well with uh, Mr. Uh, Kevin Fiala and uh and and now Mr. Rasmus Kapari.
0: I wouldn't be surprised if Grunstrom winds up being a player similar to Trevor Moore, where the coaching staff couldn't feed you anything. He was doing wrong but he needs to find a home, right? That's what they said last year Mm -hmm. about Trevor Moore when they finally found a home for him playing with Deneau and Arvidsson. That was the key to him suddenly becoming this player that really nobody expected him to become. Um, No disrespect to Trevor Moore, which brings us to my um, honorable mention, Trevor Moore. And I'm really selecting it for one play, um, and it was (laughs) that pass last night to Andrzej Kopitar, who then passed it back to Victor Arvidsson. I talked to Trevor Moore after the game about it, and uh, I just will endlessly love plays like that where a player, you know, takes the hit to make the play. It's such a cliche, mm-hmm. but it's it's what happened, um, and I've seen Trevor Moore do that before, and, you know, I, I love it. So my honorable mention is Trevor Moore, if for that play alone, but also because when you see him out there on the penalty kill, any shift, he's his legs are always moving, he's... He's just tenacious, right? He's just he yeah. that whole line, they just never stop. Um, it's a good no,
1: that's a good call. He was under consent I trust you, he was under mm-hmm. strong consideration for my uh uh you know, for my honorable mention. Be- just, just those traits, like you said. He's he's just you know, he hunts. He, he, yeah. he as, as Todd McLeod said, he hunts all the time. And uh, and 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 he's just become a very, very valuable player Yeah, it's a good word for it.
0: All right, so you're a runner up then.
1: You know what uh, my runner up is Arthur Kellyev um, um and I I went with him because um uh, he was productive um over the last week um uh, you know and and it, it's interesting he's not getting much playing time <laughs> you know in the grand scheme of things you know mm-hmm. among all the forwards that are playing whatsoever um and he's being really you know basically shuttled um shuttled around you know mostly lining up on the fourth line um you know instance in some instances but He's really been an integral part of the power play that that that's improved. Um, it's it's really been the second unit that's been the one that's been really thriving of late, and he's been key to that. Um, you know, he's been not only not only just scoring off of his one time shot, which we all know that what he has, but he's been able to find also some soft spots, even a couple of broken plays or whatsoever, been able to jump on the puck, uh, you jump on loose pucks and bang them home. And he's given them a lot of production in in really what is, you know, a not not minimal amount of, amount of playing time, but at least more limited amount of playing time. And um, he, I, I have to say he's, he's one reason why they have a better offense this year.
0: Well, over the four games this past week, it was 12 minutes a game. So, I mean, that's <laughs> about as close to minimal as you can yeah. get. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this player that I chose for my runner-up, would have been my king of the week. Um, unfortunately, the game against Florida was not great. I wouldn't say it was awful, but it wasn't great. And that's what keeps it in the runner-up category for me. But I'm going to go with Jonathan Quick. Mm-hmm. Um, because those games against St. Louis and Chicago were obviously incredible. He picked up the win against Florida, but it has a feeling a little bit like the Winnipeg game. It, it The end went better than the Winnipeg game. But uh <laughs> we haven't yet had a chance to talk to Don McClellan about it, but I'm planning on asking him, you know, if the end had gone differently in this game would be look would we be looking at another Winnipeg situation. But Jonathan Quick turning it on at a point in the season when the Kings needed some wins, picking up three or going two oh and one, excuse me, not three wins, but points and three. Um, and doing it against some fair competition. You know, it wasn't the dregs of the league. Well, I expose Chicago <laughs> is. <But laughs> But St. Louis and Florida are not. So uh, my runner-up goes to uh, to Jonathan Quick. Um, Eric, any thoughts on that, or are we going to hop straight into your?
1: Uh, You know what? Um, I I I don't have a real problem with that uh, whatsoever. You know, he's he's given them enough saves, just like last night. You know, with with Florida, he he gave them enough saves. You know, was it his best performance uh, of the of the year? No, it wasn't his best. It wasn't his worst either. uh, You know, by any means. Yes. Yesterday was a really competitive back and forth, you know, game with both good and bad, you know, that took place. But, uh, you know, you, what you want out of your goalie is you want you want someone that's going to make timely saves. I mean, that's the hallmark of, of Jonathan Quick's career, uh, you know, really timely saves um, and someone that's going to make enough of them. Earlier in the year, they weren't getting enough of them. Lately, Jonathan, you know, it, it has been delivering in, in that regard. Um, and it's something that, you know, something that he can and, and the Kings can build from, you know, in terms of him, you know, sort of kind of getting it in, into gear and, you know, maybe being someone that, uh, you know, that they can lean on, lean on again over the course of the year. Maybe not lean on too, too much, <laughs> but but someone that they can, you know, still lean on when would call.
0: All right. Moment of truth, then. You're king of the week.
1: Kevin Fiala, um, uh, it's uh, you know it, it's interesting. The move to the third line really seems to be working. Um, you know, it, it, it at, when it when it first occurred, it, it was sort sort of looked at as oh he's being dropped from the top line. He's you know he's no longer playing with uh, Anže Kopitar and Adrian Kempe whatsoever. But I think actually the the, the move to the third line. Um, really has sort of given him a new lease because it's 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 allowed him to drive it to to really drive that group and, and be sort of the lead dog, uh you know on that and that also helps deepen the lineup uh you know it it gives you a a a, a third dangerous line and and we know as you know Jesse you know you you've known it you know for a while whatsoever the top two lines are, are solid obviously on this club it's that third line that's been sort of a question mark. Uh, whatsoever, and so putting him there, putting Kevin there, has been um, at least right now really a you know a, a, a real you know good stroke here um, in terms of deepening that lineup and, and, and making them more dangerous throughout the lineup. And the production's been, been there. I mean, he's now he's now tied with uh, Gabriel Villardi for the uh, you know the team with 14 points. He's at a point per game clip. This is the player that. They were looking on and they were counting on to, you know, to br- to bring in here a, a guy that was going to perform offensively and, you know, be someone that can maybe wind up with 70, 80, you know, 80, perhaps even 85 points at the end. of the year.
0: He's my pick as well. This is ordinarily in the bit where I tell the guest, oh, sorry, you picked a good choice, but this is the real pick." <laughs> He's a few years ago. I can't remember who it even was, but a few years ago, I stumbled back onto the word audacious. I mean, I'm not an exotic word by any stretch of the imagination, but Kevin Fiala is an audacious hockey player, and I mean that in the full range of the word, right? He's out there, and he's doing stuff, you know, he's carrying the puck out of his zone, and a defender is closing in on him, and you're thinking in your mind, okay, well, how's he going to get around this guy? And in your mind, there are, you know, well, he can try a stick handle, he can... Do a, you know one or two different moves that you've seen a thousand times, and then his entire body changes momentum and mm-hmm. angle, and his feet start moving, and he's turned around, and he's he's doing a spinorama with with no forward momentum in one direction. Like he, it's incredible. Like the stuff that he does, and it doesn't always result in a scoring chance, but frequently it does. Um, I can't count how many times last night against Florida he broke into the zone by himself. And then, unfortunately, the play died because he's so much faster than anybody else on the ice yeah. or, or so much you know more aggressive that he didn't have anybody there with him. And in the past, we've seen players on this team in similar circumstances. Austin Wagner used to find himself in that situation. But Austin Wagner would look around not see anybody, and I always got the impression that perhaps he panicked a little bit and would fire a shot off ill advisedly, you know, miss the net and it would Mm -hmm. run around and all of a sudden, you know, what had been a dominant possession moment for the Kings would turn into a counterattack the other way. Biala doesn't do that. Um and and you know, Zach Dooley and I in the press box, I just last night against Florida, and I'm sure he does it more on the road when I'm not there. But we were just constantly shaking our heads and going like, geez, he's so good. He's just so good. Um and and you're right he is the player that was promised it, it's it's sort of rare that a player lives up to the expectations
1: yeah you know what I think the 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 key difference and and it goes along with the move to the third line I think when he was playing you know playing with Anjay and Adrian he was trying to fit in with their talents mm. with 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 their you know you know skill sets. And it clicked sometimes. I mean, it, 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 let's, let's say it, that it didn't work. It did click sometimes. We, you know, we've seen the cross ice passes that 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 uh, Kevin made to Adrian for goals early on. But I think he was trying to fit in more with them, whereas now he's got his line that he's driving and his linemates are working off of him. And so, and I think that's really kind of freed him up, uh, you know, in a way. Um, you know, to you know, to be that dynamic presence, like you said, he, he, he the the things that he does um, are an element that really the Kings didn't have a, have, or at least didn't have a whole lot of. Um, and in watching him now on on a, on a game to game, day to day basis, I mean, I knew he was a you know obviously a very good player, and a, a, you know, exceedingly talented player, whatsoever. What I didn't really appreciate and see previously is a couple things like you said his, you know his leg they, yeah we know the, the speed but the way he protects the puck i did not realize how well he, he does that um and you know and it's not just protecting the pluck you know to keep it away from defenders whatsoever he's able to t- twist his body in ways to make plays for teammates and then to go along with that is this passing? I, I, you know, I did not realize he was that good of a passer. I mean, yeah. it, it, you know, I, it, I mean, he is, he, I mean, he is an excellent playmaker. He, he, he you know, he, he, you know, he really is. There's going to be risk in his game, uh, no, w- without question. There, there, there's risk in his game, and, and sometimes there are going to be turnovers. He's made his, you know, his, his own, and he's not going to be known as a selkie level forward, but. The plays that he can create and and his pass is just his pure passing ability. I mean, we, we've seen it. We, we you know remember that uh, recently that you know that play where he hit uh, Gabe there uh, back door. How many people can make that pass over that long of a distance, that sharp, and right on a person's stick? There's not many.
0: The pass he gave to Kupari against Florida, and we yeah. were watch, watching the replay, and he wasn't even looking at him and not that it was right. necessarily a difficult pass in the grand scheme of things right in the geography of of a hockey rink but for him to do it confidently quickly and then you realize that he's not even looking at him <laughs> right that he just <laughs> and it was a little bit like cro- you know across his body behind him a little like the angle was not perfect yeah i agree with you um i agree with you completely so for that reason we are going to congratulate kevin fiala this week's king of the week All right, Eric, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. We always enjoy seeing you at the rink, or rinks, I suppose, because there's the a <laughs> practice rink and the uh, and the game rink.
1: Cool, man. Anytime, okay? All right, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. All right, I'll see you. Enjoy your Sunday, man. Okay.
0: Joining me now in our brand new studio, Ed Egross from Bally Sports. How are you doing, Ed? I'm doing well. First time I've been out here in the facility. This looks incredible. Never mind that. First time you and I have ever met face-to-face.
2: I know, right? It's like, yes, you are the guy who looks like the the little screen on my computer. So thank goodness for that. Nice to meet you,
0: Ed. Absolutely. A pleasure. So last year we had you on to sort of lay out some principles of analytics. And this year, wanted to have you on early in the season. It's only 12 games at the time of this recording. By the time people hear it, it might be 14 games if I have my schedule correct. Um, So, sample size. Let's just briefly get sample size out of the way. I think we talked about it before, but I always want to bring it up. How large is the grain of salt all of this (laughs) needs to be taken with when it comes to sample size?
2: I think it's one of those things where on the one hand, if you were to think about like a two to three game stretch Mm -hmm. during any part of the regular season, pick a random part of the regular season and take a two to three game stretch two to three week stretch, we wouldn't be thinking too much about, okay, these two to three weeks are indicative of the entire season. We wouldn't look at that microcosm and say, okay, these are the LA Kings based upon what they did from the end of February to the beginning of March or pick another random time. So in that regard, I would say, okay, what's happening right now? You know, you do have to take it with a grain of salt. Yet on the other hand, when you look at, say, this idea of sample size, I do believe that getting off to a strong start does matter to a certain extent, in part because, yes, coaches are still trying to figure out what lines work out and things like that. But when you're dealing with an 82 game stretch, it's really imperative to know what matchups work well in certain key situations. Are you getting enough information if you're a coach? Are you getting enough information from your players in terms of lineups, who works well together, things like that, to say, okay, in this particular situation where we need a little bit more offense, this is who we need to put out there in terms of our, you know, first two lines. If you need a little bit more defense, or you need to slow the game down, or maybe you know, perhaps get a little bit, fit, a little bit more physical along the boards, whatever it is, then you need to know those matchups now. And so, if I'm looking at the Kings, as far as that's concerned, on the one hand, I would say. This is a small sample. Don't worry too much about the record because everybody's going to go through good stretches. Everybody's going to go through bad stretches. And then you only have a few games to really, you know, make that difference in terms of points and who gets to do what. Yet at the same time, I do believe that one of the things that Kings players have done really well with is provide information to say, okay, here's who works well with whom. This is who we can count on. In terms of key combinations, offensively and defensively, to where when these games count a good bit more then we know who to rely on, and I think that sort of intangible aspect matters a great deal. And I think the Kings have done a pretty good job of
0: that. So you said that they give information. Yeah. What is an example of some of that information? So I think it starts with Gabe Velarde. and okay.
2: I, he's an obvious place to go. Sure. I get yes, that. Yes, he is. But the the fact that that you know that <clears throat> first line. It's been shuffled around a good bit, yep. you know, with, you know, I follow's injury and, you know, dealing with who's going to, you know, play well with him, things like that. The fact that Velarde has been so flexible in the early going. Yes, he's been a pleasant surprise for the Kings. You know, we know that already. Uh, you know, the questions, you know, coming in about, you know, what's going to happen to his back that it could flare up randomly, whatever it is. It's one of those things where he's been so good at being so flexible. I think that's the information that you want. It's less about, you know, I am a big believer of expected goals, but you also have to put that into context. The, The fact that he is scoring so highly above his expected goal mark tells me his flexibility working with a lot of different teammates. That is information. And I think it goes above and beyond just the goals he's scoring but his willingness to work and handle different roles,
0: that, to me, is an exciting prospect. At the time of this recording, again, 12 games, it's no surprise that the line that has played the most minutes together is Arvidson, deno and Moore. Mm-hmm. After that, it's Fiala, Kopitar, and Kempe. And Arvidson, Deneau, and Moore, we call them the nice line, um, <laughs> 102 minutes together. Fiala, Kopitar, and Kempe had played 87 minutes together. Huge drop-off down to Lemieux, Lazat, and Grundström, 51 minutes together, and those... Two lines, line, you know, number two and number three, no, well, shouldn't say no longer exist at the moment are not playing <laughs> right, yet. right. Um, but Vlardy then is on the fourth most frequently iced line, Kempe, Kopitar, and Vlardy. He's also on the fifth most frequently iced <laughs> line. I, I follow Byfield and Vlardy. You referenced I follow's injury. Um, so Gabriel Vlardy, mm-hmm. his, I, I'm, I'm led to believe that. Most of the what we call advanced analytics that are most publicly discussed, whether it's expected goals, Corsi, Fenwick, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Sure. most of them are collected and looked at over a three-year span. Mm-hmm. For a player like Gabriel Velarde or Quentin Byfield or Brant Clark or you know any of these young players who don't really have a three-year body of work, or if they happen to have a three-year body of work, those three years are stop and start, rookie seasons, in Gabe Velarde's case – you know, 10 games at the end of a season or seven games, whatever it was. Um, so how do you account for that when looking at these, you know, macro looks at, at these numbers?
2: Absolutely. And and that's, that's the big challenge, isn't it? I mean, that's the million dollar question. How do you handle smaller sample sizes when most everyone else is afforded three years of data, assuming that you get full seasons? Uh, within those three years so I mean it's even something where even if you aren't a rookie sometimes you can be hit or miss and then sort of adjust accordingly but you know part of it is you can make adjustments based upon where someone came from Mm -hmm. Uh, if you're if you're coming from you know a certain part of the country in terms of you know where you grew up playing uh, or you're dealing with you know say lower level leagues those kinds of things you know certainly some lower level leagues are better than others and so you can make those adjustments accordingly I I, I do want to stress when you're dealing with smaller sample sizes, like, you know, the first 12 games of a season, yes, that grain of salt absolutely needs to be there. But at the same time, you also, you know, it's that it goes back to that informational aspect. What are you showing your coaches that you can do? And what can you handle in terms of key, you know, flexible matchups? And the fact that he's handled so many different possibilities, I think that matters a great deal here. Um, you know, how do you handle small sample sizes? It's, it's in large part to, you know, understand that regression can happen if, say, you're scoring way more goals than expected or positive regression can happen, those kinds of things. But if you're able to be productive in a variety of ways where maybe you're not scoring goals, but you're facilitating, you're being that secondary assist guy, uh, or you're just able to create something just by being on the ice, like, you know, through cycle chances, whatever it is. To me, I think that matters as well. It's not so much just the difference between goals and expected. It's being able to handle other aspects of it that matter a great deal.
0: We're going to put a pin in Cycle Chances because I want to um, expose you to my lunacy and see if you share any of it. Sure. So when I look at stats, I very rarely have, and and listen, I am not a statistical analyst by mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination, but I do spend a lot of time looking at the publicly available stats and trying to sort out, you know, for my own sanity, what I think happened. I rarely go into a situation thinking, I want to find out this stat. I usually come at it with a question. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just take, for example, there's a defensive pair a few years ago that when you glanced at it, you would say, man, they're top of the league in possession metrics, bottom of the league in goals against. What is happening? Like, how is that happening? Sure. And I would always consider that my um, once upon a time. Like, that's where I or, – or that's how I treat plus minus too. Sure. Right? If I want to know, like, all right, who's good defensively on the team? Pull up plus minus. That's where the story starts. Mm-hmm. I would never, like, throw plus minus out and go, well – this guy's minus seven, ergo, he's, you know, worse than a guy who's minus three. I go, like, no, all right, <clears throat> let's look at now, based on where plus minus is, now let's look at how many minutes they played. Corsi against for 60. And then I, you know, as I'm looking at the numbers, I start just sort of letting it wash over me and looking for anomalies, looking for things that stick out. Mm hmm. I'm assuming there's some element of that for you as well, or maybe maybe I'm just an idiot. No, (laughs) no,
2: no, that's exactly the the way to do it. I mean, to me, it does begin with some kind of a question, like, is someone playing well? Is a team playing poorly? Or, you know, is this defensive pairing playing well together? Or are other pairings, you know, perhaps better in terms of clamping things down, generating defense and offense, whatever it is? I do believe that you need to start with questions, and statistics can facilitate those answers. You know, but... I think it's statistical malpractice, you know, to take one of those rudimentary box score statistics and then say, "Okay, here it is. Boom, we're done. You know, I think if you're looking at, say, a league, a league wide statistic or something that's, you know, the, the state of the NHL, whatever it is, I think it's more okay to do that. But again, I even though an 82 game season sounds like a really long time. It's still a smaller sample than you really need to have. Like if you're getting like high level, you know, statistical stuff here, you know, PhD level things, you know, there's, you know, Mike Lopez, who works for the NFL, you know, had this great blog post uh, about like how long does a playoff series really need to last to know that you have the supple number of games and opportunities to know. I was
0: just talking to somebody about this the other day. Yeah, exactly. Is like, it like 49 games or something? It's
2: something like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, the NH- like if you look at say an NBA seven game playoff series, that's about right in terms of determining who is best. Mm-hmm. But then you look at other sports and then specifically you you isolate the NHL, it does need to be more like 40 something games yeah. or 30 something whatever it is to know exactly who is the better team in terms of breaking down matchups and ultimately, like, you know, the the luck, you know, lack of luck, you know, ultimately that stuff filters out. And so these sample sizes, even though it's an 82-game season, it's smaller than you think it is. It should be a lot bigger to know with statistical rigor who's supposed to be the best. And so because of that, I think it's better off to begin with questions, looking at numbers that can help facilitate your answers, but... If you are dealing with small samples, like even a regular season is, you still have to do a little bit of investigation, still have to do a little bit of eyeball work to put everything together. Now, if you take away one or the other, like you don't handle knowledge of the game or you don't look at advanced numbers, then I think that's
0: malpractice. We're going to dive real quickly into uh, visual stuff that nobody listening can see. (laughs) I'm going to turn my laptop around so that you can see Money Puck just because it happens to be a perfect example. Talking about statistical malpractice. I've spoken to a number of different people in the hockey analytics community who generate these graphs, and for uh-huh. those listening who can't see, they're plot charts where the scatter plots. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> and and the quad it's divided into four quadrants: boring, bad, fun, and good. And those labels drive me crazy <laughs> because what'll happen is someone will throw that out there for the purposes of a tweet or an article, and it's I get it, it's digestible content, but then a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. Right. Thousands of people will look at it and go, oh, well, when it comes to expected goals for and against, the kings are fun, good. Mm -hmm. And I go, okay, well, that doesn't mean anything at all. Right. (laughs) That's that's meaningless. Those words are meaningless the goal context. Yeah, Yeah. then look at the goal differential to to sort of say,
2: okay, what does that mean exactly? I mean, you know... Obviously, there's some things from that that I think we can all, all agree on, like Arizona being in the upper leftmost right. part of that scatter plot to say, yeah, they have some problems and, you know, I'm not very optimistic about
0: them having a an average season. Or in this one, the absolute <laughs> bottom left. Yeah, <laughs> bad, exactly. Bad, boring. Right. Uh, or no, sorry, this one is bad, unlucky. But mm-hmm. at any rate, why did cycle chances present itself to you when you were looking at all of those numbers.
2: So when I'm when I'm uh you know looking at sport logics information they're they're my data resource in terms of analyzing uh you know things for the kings uh, and for Bally Th- that was really one of the big highlights as far as okay what are the kings doing differently this year compared with last year and that one really stood out in terms of a key difference because even though we're talking about smaller sample sizes and having to work through the data a little bit, one of the things that we saw last year compared with this year was that cycle chances were not as relied upon in terms of generating offense. But this year, it's much more so in part because Velarde has done such a good job of uh, maintaining possession of the puck in the offensive zone and then being able to you know, be a good skater, if nothing else. You know, speed past defenses, and then be able to generate high quality, high danger shots. Uh, whether he's the one doing it or he's able to feed someone who is in in the crease, whatever it is, and that to me is is great information. In part because even if you you know are say you know like like a Kempe or or someone like that who you know perhaps should have more goals at this point. Uh, it's still something where at least if you're generating enough of those opportunities, you like the infrastructure there. You like how they're executing this game plan. I mean, what is it? Um, you know, LA's done an outstanding job in terms of just setup plays. You know, their face-off percentage as we're talking is, is outstanding. I mean, it's one of the best in hockey. And then from there, they're able to get a shot off from there. And so in terms of, you know, th- those set plays, so to speak, it's it's been really exciting to see, and you figure you do that enough times. Yeah, I know face off win percentages is, is not the stickiest of statistics in terms of okay they're doing really well now, but it is that two to three week thing we're talking about where it may not always be really good, but at least when they do win, are they giving themselves the best opportunities? And the answer is yes. So you can start there with that conversation to say okay, is that going to persist? Because one of the problems with looking at say a scatter plot like that is okay that's that 2 to 3 week stretch we're talking about that's fine but is that going to be consistent what numbers within that scatter plot are are tend to be sticky where we can rely on them to be good in the future and that, to me, is also a matter of malpractice. If you're looking at something that just explains versus something that's going to predict, those are two very different exercises.
0: I wish I had you in my pocket because I was just having a <laughs> conversation with a coworker the other day, yeah. and I I'm six feet tall. I can't, <laughs> <laughs> but I could hear myself. Um, I could hear myself sounding like an an anti analytics, you know, dinosaur. Mm-hmm. It sounded. I, I suppose it could have sounded as if I was saying. All this math stuff, you can't track heart, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, no, you can't, but you can track the things that we generally think right. of as me. But what I was trying to say is just a less eloquent version of what you said, which is that just because numbers exist doesn't mean that the person wielding them is doing so um appropriately yeah i was gonna say with integrity sure. but that's way too uh yeah. judgmental yes appro- right. appropriately yes yeah so let's get into definitions because that is always one of my beefs is that we toss around these phrases and and we assume that we know that everybody knows what they mean yeah. when we're talking about cycle chances mm-hmm. is there a very set definition of cycle chances because frankly when you brought it up to me before we started recording i was a bit surprised because when i think of this year's version of the la kings i think of a team that's Attacks off the rush, sure. And I'm assuming that that is not cycle chances.
2: It's not right. <laughs> and in fact, if you and again, I, you know, I'm working with Sport Logic and their mm-hmm. definitions and you know their stat recordings, and so. You know they. You may go to another resource, and their numbers may be a little bit different. And especially if we're dealing with you know the first two to three weeks of a season, sure. then those numbers could be quite stark. I mean, it's something that even toward the end of the last regular season, you know, sometimes I like to look at different definitions and look at different resources, and I go, "Well, wait a minute, Money Puck, for instance, defines cycle chances and forecheck chances a little bit differently than say Sport Logic does, which is my data supplier." And I look at that and go, well, okay, you know, what are those differences? And not so much which one I like more, but more accurately, which one is more appropriate for the story that I'm trying to tell? And then I sort of proceed from there. Um, When you're talking about, you know, rush chances, or rather cycle chances, uh, you know, in terms of sports logic, basically it is, you know, spinning around with possession of the puck and then being able to create something from that. And, you know, in terms of, where a, a skater is, how far they have the puck, how long they have the puck, you know, that can be different. And sometimes that stuff can be a little bit proprietary. Uh, but in terms of how sport logic defines it and sort of the eyeball, OK, you know, I'm, I'm fine with how they've done it, and I'm fine with how the numbers match up. Yeah, there there is a significant difference in terms of this season compared with last. And, you know, you mentioned the rush. Certainly the eyeball test might say, OK, you know, they do, you know, skate a good bit more. And, you know, there is that element. And it seems to me this way that maybe they're a little bit faster in terms of how they generate things. But the numbers do suggest that they are not as likely to sort of turn defense into offense, so to speak. Like their four check chances uh, aren't as good this year as they were last year. They're just doing things a little bit differently. Uh, And I think, you know, that first line is sort of setting that tone for what everyone else is sort of expected to do. And they've done a good job as far as that's concerned in terms of you know generating what they want to do, and this is you know a slight tweak from from last season, but in terms of what's defined and how I roll with it, uh, you know, cycle chances, how long you have the puck in the offensive zone, where are you, how are you generating your offense? Are you able to get a shot off once you have the puck for a significant period of time? Uh, you know, that's how they've done it, and you know, it makes sense in terms of you know. Velarde's impact, Kempi's impact and things like
0: that. Next time we have you in, we're going to have you in with Jim Fox. Yeah. So that I can then pivot to Jim and say, okay, Jim, how is that happening? Right. Not, that, not that you couldn't tell me, but Jim provides, you He's, know, yeah, I get that. a particular perspective. Absolutely. That, that. All right. So we've got cycle chances and, and I'm going to keep coming back to expected goals because it drives me nuts because sure. um, <clears throat> I'm looking at goals above expected
2: Uh huh.
0: Um. For the Kings. And again, small sample size. Right. But last year that was the horse that everybody beat. Sure. Long after it was expired.
2: And, and can I say one
0: thing about Please. expected goals that matters? Yeah. And and this
2: this more involves, say, you know, an interesting find that I had from last season where you remember the Michigan goal uh yes. you know from the Ducks last season from Zegris. And that absolutely, you know, threw away our definitions of expected goals in part because It's obviously a difficult thing to do, but an expected goal model actually said, no, it's like 0.9 or 90% or something (laughs) like that because of the proximity to the net. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that was the thing that sort of overwhelmed the model was, okay, he's standing right next to it. This is no better than a tip-in. And it's like, well, no, because... You know, if it were no better than a tip-in, then everybody would be doing it. Right. And no, I mean, this is a rare event. That's why everybody was freaking out. And so it's one of those things where I feel like expected goal models are very much horizontal, so to speak. Where are you on the ice compared with, say, vertically where you are on the ice, so to speak? Where the puck is? How far away it is off the ice? Those kinds of things. Now, you know, tracking data, you have to break that down. And so that's that's its own conversation. Uh, but... It's something where if somebody is scoring creatively or they're doing something that is a little bit unusual, sometimes models do have to keep up. And that's why you keep, you know, redefining models. And that's why you have to keep, you know, redoing these models, so to speak, so that you can be more accurate. And that
0: matters a great deal in this process that, yeah, I love this stuff, but there are always ways to improve. So one of the reasons that I fixate on this is because goals above expected became, again, one of the... Primary concerns sure. of a portion of the Flavor of the, of the month. Yeah. <laughs> and it was always thrown out, and I've seen it already to start the season. The Kings were I was minus 32 or I, whatever it was. It was worse than the league. Yeah. But my understanding, and I think I may have even run this by you last year, is that that number is reached by simply adding up every single player's individual goals above expected. And so uh-huh. I'm looking at last year, Trevor Moore minus 8.6, Arthur Kaliev minus 4.3. Matt Roy, minus 3.3. Victor Arvidsson, minus 3.3. And all of a sudden, we're already at, you know, minus 18. Four guys. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That's bad. So, I'm looking at this season. I'm looking at the bottom of the list. And Trevor Moore is minus 1.6. got to tell you, I don't care. <laughs> like, Trevor Moore is having himself a fine season. Yeah, you I want agree me, with that. If you want to tell me that his shooting percentage isn't great, I'll just point to the, you know... The other things he does on the ice, and I will not sweat it, particularly given the fact that I know that the Kings are having a tremendous offensive output. Right. And the problem this year is clamping down on the defense. Yes. So when you talk about statistical malpractice, (laughs) um, what can the average fan do to steel themselves against inappropriate concern? I don't want to say inappropriate, but wildly out-of-control sure. concern about stats that require larger context. Well, watching the games, certainly. Sure. I mean, <laughs> I'll start there. I mean, it's... <laughs> sure.
2: Yeah, always always the the anti-analytic crowd yeah, will watch, watch the games. Game, sure. And I'm like, I am watching the games. What do you think I'm doing? Right. I don't just look at spreadsheets and then, you know, come on a pod. Like, mm-hmm. come on, I'm, I'm watching the games and, you know, breaking down what Fox East is saying and all that stuff. Uh, but I, I think what matters, too, is you have to look at the entire picture. And, you know, stats are incredible tools, but you also need to know where they come from, what they are meant to do, and what they can't tell you. And I think what they can't tell you is just as important as what they can tell you. And I don't mean what they can't tell you, oh, someone has a lot of heart or they have a lot of grit or whatever. Like, I don't care about that. Because if, if I were to ask you, okay, define heart. Mm-hmm. How can, like, someone who knows nothing about the sport, who's watching this for the first time, and you say, okay, this kid has heart. How? I- explain how someone can see it and to me that's what statistics is all about how can we see and explain through numbers something we can count what we want to believe are the important characteristics of, of a skater or of any hockey player so I- in terms of you know this notion of you know what how can you avoid that idea of malpractice part of it is you know knowing the ins and outs of particular statistics to know what it is telling you and what it isn't telling you but also make that differentiation between what's inference and what is forecasting. Because goals do not do a very good job of forecasting. We know that. We've been knowing that for a long time. Expected goals does a little bit better of a job. The difference does an even better job. But then there are other ways that we can further explain, like, who's a great assist guy? Who's great at possessing the puck? Who's great at keeping the puck in the offensive zone to generate enough opportunities? You can point to those aspects and say, okay, it's more than just, you know, who the best shooter is, who's the most accurate, but also who can help generate the most opportunities
0: for their team. So to answer a question that you tossed out a moment ago, how do you track heart? What does that mean? Uh, A few years ago um, on a blog... Uh, known as the RoyalHalf dot mm-hmm. uh, Flubber McGee, <laughs> yes. <the> author, uh, <laughs> came up with the Korab stat, named after Jerry Korab. Yeah, and this is his methodology. This is interesting to nobody but me, but it's my show. Hits plus penalties taken plus penalties drawn plus blocked shots plus eliminator plus own blood divided by even strength time on ice <laughs> plus shorthanded time plus penalty minutes, and that number. Let's talk about him. that own blood variable for a second, because <laughs> sure. that's that's one that I <laughs> uh, so hits obvious inclusion, how much the player is willing to give up his body for the team penalty taken an odd stat on the surface, but attempts to measure the damage a player and attempts to inflict on a teammate. The theory is that this overt breach of the rules lessens the effectiveness of the opponent by causing discomfort for the remainder of the game. Discomfort. Penalties drawn, how willing a player is to take on advantage, blah, blah, blah. Block shots, give up the body for the team. Eliminator, a new stat, attempts to show aggressiveness, causing an injury or drawing blood to the opponent means the opposing team loses one of their players and improves your team's matchups. Sometimes. Flubber McGee was a... a, yeah. vision, a <laughs> <laughs> Ahead of his time. Revolutionary, apparently. To, and then own blood times the player bleeds. Yeah. Toughness. Right. Uh, but obviously, that's it's satirical. Nobody really uses sure. core app stat. Well, uh, and one reason why it is satirical clearly
2: is if you're breaking down, you know, something with multiple variables, you need to figure out what percentage each variable belongs in. And so if you're deal- dealing with toughness, okay, own blood, for instance, does that, you know, should that be weighted exactly the same as penalty minutes drawn or should that be more <laughs> or less? You have to put weights on these variables, guys. Come on. This, this is way more thought than was ever,
0: <laughs> ever put into Korab. No disrespect to, uh, to Flebur McGee. All right, so it is early. um, Sample size, you know, we're what, an eighth of the way through the season, maybe less. Um, But based on what you have seen, should we be positive in the changes, in, in how we feel about the changes to this team in the way they play this year compared to last?
2: I would feel positive. I absolutely would. And this is something where maybe I'm in the minority in terms of the analytics community, but I think our priors matter. I would not throw those away for the most part. Now, you know, ask some Maple Leafs fans if they should throw their priors away. That's a completely different
0: conversation. I try to ask Maple Leafs fans (laughs) as little as possible.
2: Right. You know, they they go through enough already. Mm -hmm. Like every time they open up Twitter, then they're reminded of their woes. Uh, But to me... I think it has a lot to do with, you know, not just the slight tweaks that they've made, you know, in the early stretch of the season. But I think we went in believing that the Kings are very much a playoff team. You know, acquiring Fiala, I think, had a lot to do uh, with that optimism. And, you know, granted, I know, like, he's, you know, off to say a slower start than Kings fans would like to see. But at some point, you still have to trust that he'll still be the guy that you acquired. This is why a two to three week stretch is a small sample size you know, he's not going to, I mean, not that he's playing, you know, that poorly. I mean, let's not, you know, put him, you know, in the cellar
0: here. He's got 13 points in 12
2: games, right? He's got 13 points, in 12 games. And so like, you know, should we expect more from him? Well, that's a separate conversation, but he's not in this awful place right now to where, yes, if you want him to be the guy, yeah, he can still be the guy. It's just a two to three week stretch. Everybody's going to have this, you know, Sidney Crosby, for instance, you know, as great of a career as he's had, he's had bad two to three week stretches. It's happened to everybody. You know, Connor McDavid, you know, pick the best stars that, you know, the greatest, you know, players who can generate offense all by their lonesome. They're going to have slow stretches. You know, that's just part of the deal. And so I still think embracing your priors matters a great deal. And nothing that the Kings have done so far leads me to believe that, You know, we still shouldn't believe that this is very much a playoff team and maybe even a playoff team that can win a series or two, maybe even more than that. You know, nothing is suggesting that that's not possible. Now, I know in terms of, you know, defense and, you know, quicks net minding and all of that, okay, maybe there are some elements that are off to a slow start, but again, positive regression of the mean can happen. Turning defense into offense can very well happen. Sometimes that's just going to take a little bit of time in terms of reshuffling. You know, we talked about Iofalo's injury. You know, that's a significant one. And it's one that, especially if you're dealing with a small sample size and you're still trying to acquire information, like we talked about before, then that's going to be a little bit harder to do. And you're going to have to wait to get that information till later. So in terms of, you know, optimism for the Kings, okay, yeah, we actually have data to play with, but nothing suggests that, You know, they can't be a really good hockey team.
0: I'm going to let you go because I know you've got uh, other things to do besides (laughs) talk to me today. One final thought, though. We always say on this podcast that happiness is measured by expectation. Sure. And the Kevin Fiala thing I don't think could be a more perfect example. Yeah. He's 16th overall in the league in scoring at the moment. Three goals, 10, 10 assists, 13 points. And I'm finding myself falling prey to what I think a lot of people did last year, which was when Victor Arvidsson was brought in. Because he was billed as the, the you know solution to the Kings' goal-scoring woes, and he didn't instantly light the league on fire goals-wise, people complained, well, I didn't, for whatever reason, didn't buy into those expectations on Arvidsson. I was, like, impressed by his playmaking. Sure. And I was like, I love this guy. I'm not really interested that he's not scoring as many goals as some people, my father in particular, (laughs) wanted him to score. I was, like, watching the whole player, whereas Fiala, I was, for whatever reason, I've talked about this in the past, for whatever reason, I wasn't as excited as other people when they acquired him. Sure. I was just like, I'm not sure. Maybe it's because I just didn't watch him play enough. I understand that. And I was like, all right, I don't get it. Um, Now that I'm watching him, even though I know that he had 85 points last year and I think 50 of them were assists. I'm still like looking at it going, yeah, but three goals. I don't know. Even though I'm watching him set up these incredible assists right. in the game and I'm like, okay, I'm not sure we have anybody on the team who could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, you know, creating goals out of nothing with his passing. I'm still looking at it going, yeah, but three goals. Right. And that's on me. That's
2: not on him. Sure. Expectation matters a great deal, but then also, you know, not just keeping it in check per se, but... These games right now have less significance than ones down the road. Oh, don't say that to Tom McClellan. Oh well, <laughs> my, my apologies, my sincerest yeah. apologies. But you know, not that we shouldn't be paying attention. In fact, we should be. Mm-hmm. But you know, these games matter just a little bit less. How guys are working together matters a great deal more in terms of knowing what to expect come playoff time. That's what the regular season is all. Yeah, you got to win some games. That you know, absolutely, you got to do that. But I think about this season, the performance against the Blues is probably what has given me the most optimism, at least I saw it. Mm-hmm. And there're not a lot of hockey clubs who who can say, okay, we have all these great, you know, offensive expectations or, you know, general expectations. You got to see one game through a 12, 13 game sample size to feel comfortable. We have that, and a recent one against the Blues. That to me, you look at goal differential, don't worry about that too much. Look more can have you at least seen what what the possibilities are and we have and that
0: matters here. Excellent. Eddie Gross, thank you very much. Thank you so much. The next time we have you in, we're going to do it with Jim and I'm just going to I would love that. Turn you guys against each other. I would love that. Thanks for joining us.